and and I feel like when when the Savior says maybe consider our ways, maybe a budget is a way for us to consider our ways, and and to maybe make sure that our income hasn't gone into a bag with holes, wondering where did it end up, that maybe budgeting can give me a place to proactively decide my money has not gone into a bag with holes, it's gone into a place that I wanted it to go toward. Wasn't it obvious then, and isn't it obvious now, that if I want fish, I can get fish? What I need, Peter, are disciples, and I need them forever. Hello, and welcome back to the Preach My Gospel podcast. This is a podcast for... Uh, return missionaries to help you make this successful transition home and to help you to be lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. Here we are again, Brian, another episode. Mm, here we go. And I'm learning so much as we invite these wonderful guests to come. I yeah. just, I'm, I'm learning along with our listeners. It's I, know, I realize this me. is for 53-year-olds yeah, too. It like is. We, have, <laughs> we have so much to learn. We're and, still return missionaries. Absolutely. Right? And, and even for those that, that just want to be disciples of Christ, whether you're a return missionary or not, we hope these episodes are, are helpful to you. We also want to just remind you that in the episode notes, there's a link where you can click if you have suggestions for episode topics or guests that you'd like to hear from. Please go on and use that resource and, and become part of the team by, by offering your voice. We, we'd love to, to hear from you as ma- from as many of you as possible. So today we're, we're having kind of a little bit of a different angle, right? We're, we're going to look to um, something that we feel is critical for the success of the returning missionary, and that is to give you some help with finances, I know that's something that, that a lot of, of people right off a of mission don't have a lot of experience with. And today we brought in somebody that is very experienced, both in terms of his financial background and one of the most pure, wonderful disciples of Jesus Christ that I know, Brother, Brother Michael Kidd, who's one of our, our colleagues here at the Utah Valley Institute. Welcome, Mike. Glad to Oh, Thank you very much. You I'm glad to be the worldly interview that you're going to have on this <laughs> podcast. So thank well, you. Well, you know, <laughs> it, you look in the scriptures and, and finances and discipleship, you know, it, it's something that, that obviously matters to the Lord. Amen. It, it, financial principles are, are critical for our spiritual success in life. And there's some great great principles that, that govern it, you know, absolutely law of consecration and, and other things that are there are huge. So well, he talked about money all the time. Uh, you know, he had a lot to say about it. Uh, nine of his parables talk about money, uh-huh. right? Some yeah. of his teachings, it's easier for a camel to go through mm-hmm. the eye of a needle than a rich <laughs> right. man, right? The widow's might, uh, the book of Mormon complete, you know, before you seek for riches, seek for the kingdom of God and and of course, you've outlined the doctrine and covenants, laying the foundation of finances in the church. So, so Jesus it's cared everywhere. a great deal yeah. about it, didn't he? And it's had true. a lot to say about it, and uh, so should we. So, and I have to say, Brian, by you saying that, just a little plug. Brian teaches a parables of Jesus class here at the institute. So fun, and having a great time with that. So he's like, fun. he's on fire with the parables. <laughs> so, if any of you live close by and want a fantastic institute class. I highly, highly recommend that. Brian, that's on uh, Tuesday night. Tuesday night uh, at 7, seven o'clock, o'clock here at the Utah yeah, so fun. Valley Institute. So, Mike, we want to just quickly get a little bit of your your background. Um, Mike is a, I just mentioned, is a teacher at the Utah Valley Institute. You've been teaching seminary and institute now for well, 30, as long as you have, we both got hired years. at the same time, 30 we, years. We came yeah, in we together, so we, we go back. We go back a long ways. And Mike um, was a great mentor for me. When I first started my career, my first year, I was assigned to Pleasant Grove Seminary in yeah. Utah Valley. And uh, I walked in, and here's Michael Kidd <laughs> and some other pillars, men and women, that were just giants in, in the system, right? And I was so intimidated. And my first year was Old Testament. Yes, that's right. When I got to Isaiah... I was in trouble. <laughs> so I enrolled in in your class, Brother Kid. You'll remember that. You were my honorary class president. I yes. was. His honor- <laughs> and I would walk right out of his classroom into my classroom and just try to teach Isaiah the way Michael Kidd taught Isaiah. So oh, thank great you. mentor. 
in my life. So, so um, Mike's also a former stake president, been released for a few years from that calling, and is currently a patriarch. And uh, we're not looking at a man with a bunch of great hair. So this, you're a, you've you got that calling really early in life, and it's been fun to to just hear your perspective about revelation and just the the wrestles. And maybe we'll have you back for another episode where we can just talk about revelation and what you've learned about that. So today we'll be more focused on the the financial side. Mike, tell us about your family. So I'm uh, married to a very beautiful woman, um, Holly. Um, We met at BYU. Um, Home taught her roommate and I always, she answered the door and I always wanted her to stay for my visit to home teach and share a message with the other sister I was assigned to. You were more to. than 100% I was, uh, Yes, I was. Um, <laughs> Do our but... listeners, are you hearing this? The blessings of ministering, right? Yeah, amen. I have right a testimony here. of it, and I have I've enjoyed the fruits of it ever since. Um, she's magnificent, the love and light of my life. Um, she's uh, brought four wonderful kids into our family. Um, in order, a boy, a girl, a girl, and a boy, um, Paul, Sarah, Hannah and Matthew and um, our boys on the bookends. They're uh, they're both return missionaries. One as recently as three months ago, um, and uh, the older, um, uh, a new listener to the podcast. So um, he's loves what you're doing and uh, what's what's being shared. It's been a benefit to him, even being a return missionary of six years. So uh, they they really are um, a light in our lives too and a strength. And um, I owe a lot of what I've learned in life to, to them and what they've taught me. So you have some perspective, right? I remember these little kids, that little little blonde-haired, <laughs> you know, holding many of them uh, to faculty functions and to think that they're now return missionaries and uh, even married and, and have a child. Is yeah, that we're right? not old enough to have that, are we? It's, they're great. <laughs> yeah. Mike, tell us a little bit about some of your financial background. We know you have a great teaching background, including the course at the Institute, The Gospel and the Productive Life, which has one of its kind of series or lessons in that course is about financial um, transition and so forth. Tell us some other things about your background with finance. Well, I wish I could tell you I have a big one. I have an educational background in it, and I guess I would say I'm more self-taught. Um, I, my, my, my patriarchal blessing suggested that I needed to put on the armor of God as a protection against worldly things. And I didn't quite know what that meant then. There may be other layers of meaning for it now, but it felt like a bit of an alarm um, or a wake-up call that I needed to get in perspective my view of financial matters um, and the things money could buy. Um, so that kind of started it, and that was coupled with an experience um, with a with an uncle of mine that I've idolized, and um, on a, on his coffee table he, he had a book of, of reflections for his children and whether I was supposed to look at it or not I thumbed through it and one of the pieces of advice that this idle uncle of mine had shared was advising his son to learn all he can from the scriptures about how to manage money and uh, that kind of launched me on a on a search to find what the scriptures have to say or teach about financial management and you know and after my mission I I worked in the credit, one of the three credit reporting agencies, and started to become a lot more aware of, of scenarios that people may have placed themselves in with decisions, with finances that prohibited their ability to acquire some of the things they wanted to borrow money for. Um, it was one thing to deal with older adults, um, but for me, it was much more alarming that um, there were some that were in my age group and, and slightly older that... Um, maybe had made some choices early on that were going to affect um, their future. So uh, those experiences started to cause me to maybe take finances a lot more seriously. So I've, I've gone to seminars, uh, taken classes, podcasts, read a bunch of books. Um, and, uh, and at this point, you know, I, 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 whether all that's prepared me for the opportunity to teach in that gospel productive life class, there's a there's a unit in there about family finance, personal and family finances. And uh, my first time teaching that class, it was supposed to be a two-day, uh, a two-part lesson. And um, uh, two turned into three, almost three and a half. And then at the end of that uh, entire class, there were some students that wondered if I might think about offering uh, more of a workshop that would just focus just on that. So we tested that here at the Institute 
a year or so ago. So um, those are just some of my experiences and just to like to continue to learn about money. Um, doesn't mean that I've mastered them, but I'm sure I'm a student of trying to get that sorted out. And we asked Mike, when we asked him to come, we said, we want you to come as a dad. And you're talking to your, your return missionary sons or, or daughters, and, and this is what you would advise them or teach them, or these are some of the things that you've taught your children, right? Practical right. ideas that could help them to be successful. So let's just dive into this, let's do get it. right into Absolutely. what you have to offer today. So, Mike, when you, when you think of a return missionary, I want you to have them on your mind. Is there something about financial management uh, that can pave the way for a smoother post-mission life? Yeah, you know, maybe as a way to answer that, I I I think about a conversation I had with with me older the older of my two sons, um, and and he he highlighted how Fourth Nephi in some cases can kind of reflect, in a manner of speaking, a return missionary's experience. That you know, half that book is glorious and enjoyable, and in best of times couldn't be a happier time. Um, and all these wonderful things that are resulting, um, followed by a second half of that book where it's 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 hard, it's 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 difficult. There's um, in a short time period there may be a decision made here or there um, where it's not the happiest time of life anymore. And I remember one scholar called it the happy train to hell. They're doing great, <laughs> life is really great, and then whoo, it turned off in did, a hurry, did, did, right? <laughs> and what's interesting about that is where that that turns is we do get to see though even in that maybe would say that dark side, um, that we, we have the disciples of the Savior coming to try to help. We have prophets. We have um, the Savior himself and angels trying to help these people, you know, turn around the story. Um, and so you can kind of see how that can connect to a return missionary's experience where, boy, these previous months of my life were some of the best ever and what's just happened. And one interesting key uh, key in that is that there's a moment where there is an element that there was an approach to finances and 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 the use of riches that contributed in some ways to maybe why the story wasn't going as well as the people might like and kind of up in worldliness kind of makes you wonder if maybe there might be something there that if I could just course correct if I'm having a struggle there that I could turn this new page or chapter of my life into a better story um spiritually because of how I handle myself materially. I remember early on in, in my marriage, uh, an elder, Russell M. Nelson, came to our stake, and uh, he, he gathered, and our stake was a pretty young stake, a lot of young couples, and he, he taught us from the Book of Mormon in Jacob 2 about before you seek for riches, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then you never stop seeking that, right? right. It's not like, well, once I've found a hope in Christ, I stop. But, but then he shared something that's always impacted me. He said, he said uh, Danzel and I, that was his wife, uh, made this our motto. And he quoted Jacob 2 about seeking first the kingdom of God. And that, that was so impressionable upon me that that, that that was the priority of this, this man right in front of me who had right. lived a really great life and had found success both, both uh, in the world of, of uh, he was a cardiologist, right, but, but also spiritually uh, a model for us. So what a, what a great model. That was our prophet's motto between him and his wife, mm, a great model great, to follow. Great insight. So, Mike, kind of building on that foundation of what you've talked about, what have you learned um, besides that great insight from Fourth Nephi from the scriptures about finances or financial management? We've kind of referred that the scriptures talk about this. Or also, where can a return missionary go to find grounded financial advice and principles that can help them govern, you know, as they begin this process? Yeah, well, I'm glad, Brian, you mentioned that, Jacob, too. That was a life changer for me. Um, as a teenager, it helped me start to put maybe faith in God and finance into perspective. Um, I think I once read that scripture that if I put God first, I could make more money. Um, and yet that's really not where Jacob goes with it. He indicates that if I put faith in God first, that I begin to develop a kind of a hope that if I'm still seeking for riches after that, I'm going to put him to a to, to even a better type of use. Uh, so the scriptures for me are huge, um, as we've already kind of alluded to. Um, I, I stand with Amulek um, from his testimony in Alma chapter 10. 
um, where he says that his life has been blessed, his family is blessed, everything in his world is blessed because he received a prophet uh, in Alma. And so um, I turn to the brethren. I, I look at what they say. I love it when they comment and teach on financial matters in general conference. Um, and that's an easy way to find that's going to be in the Gospel Library app. Um, there's that life help section. There's some wonderful materials there under finances. Um, and so I, 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 the church has got so much, um, perhaps more than many of us think. And, and, and so much of it mirrors so much of the financial advice that, that's out there. I've, I've read many of these books, not all, um, gone to these seminars. In a matter of speaking, as good as it is, there's times that one can get caught into a sense of feeling like Joseph Smith. I'm in this war of words and contest of opinions because there's a lot of great advice. And, and at, the, and at the end of the day, when I'm trying to figure out where to land, I, I drift in the direction of where prophets of the Lord uh, are taking us. And I find that if I stay there, um, there's a greater sense of peace and security in my life. Prophets see around corners, don't they? Indeed. That's what makes them seers. And who would you rather listen to than, than someone that can see around corners? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So initially, when I think of, of finances in a spiritual setting, I, I'm thinking of the law of tithing. Our, our missionaries would have studied and taught day in and day out the law of the tithe, right? Um, what, how would you want a return missionary to view the law of the tithe? And how would that? What, what do you? How how would that? How, how could that guide them in their in their financial world? You know, I Elder Holland tells a story about uh, Mary Fielding Smith and his tithing talk that he gave in conference some years ago, and 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 one of the things that that Sister Smith shared about tithing, um, I think, is loaded with with meaning. There's a lot to unpack when, you know, she's almost chided for paying tithing when she's in a condition where a clerk doesn't think she ought to maybe trouble herself with that. And, you know, she responds fiercely with, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for thinking that way, um, and that would he deny her a blessing um, from Heavenly Father. Um, and then she continues and, and makes the observation that that I expect the Lord to bless me as I keep this law. And then she adds that she also expects to be able to prosper and provide um, for her family. Um, I, I like those ideas about the anticipation that as I keep a commandment, I can anticipate a blessing. But I really like even further how Mary Fielding Smith maybe defines further the type of blessing she's anticipating. We know King Benjamin talks about in Mosiah 2.41 that we can be blessed in all things temporal and spiritual. And there's no doubt that's relevant in any discussion of tithing. But, but Sister Smith makes the observation, I expect to prosper and to be able to provide for my family. Um, the Book of Mormon, I know one of those books that does allude to finances um, over 20 times, has some variation of that if you keep the commandments, you'll prosper in the land. Um, Admittedly, most of my life, I think I've read that literally in, in terms of financial prosperity, perhaps wealth, riches, a paycheck that has more zeros before the decimal point, as it were, or even that way in a savings account. And there certainly is room for that interpretation because there are places in the Book of Mormon that, that make that known. Um, but I've just found some, some insight in something that Elder Cook, Quentin L. Cook, shared at a BYU Women's Conference. Uh, in July, in, in, in 2015, in a talk titled Reaping the Reward of Righteousness, he, he makes an interesting statement that to me maybe helps me understand more clearly how to prosper and pr when it comes to tithing, the payment of tithing. He says the scriptures are clear that living the commandments allows us to prosper in the land, but let me assure you that prospering in the land is not defined by the size of your bank account. It has a much fuller meaning than that. Prospering and being wealthy are not necessarily synonymous. A much better deaf gospel definition of prospering in the land is having sufficient for our needs while having the abundant blessings of the Spirit in our lives. And I find that if, as I share that with students in my classes, that there's almost a sense of relief 
um, that, that if I my paycheck isn't bigger quicker, if if I don't have a larger savings account sooner, it doesn't mean that I've lacked some kind of blessing of tithing in my life. That if I can honestly say I do have sufficient for my needs, I'm able to make ends meet. May not have much more, but I'm able to have that. And I'm also enjoying God's blessings of the spirit in my life. Um, there's, there's a lot more hope in that, that, um, that we can find in the blessings of tithing. I think with tithing, what you're doing is you're making God a partner in your financial plan. So it's like, I can go with a hundred percent on my own, or I can go with 90% with God as my partner. And so that, again, I don't know that God's intention for me is to become super wealthy. Maybe it is, but, but he's my partner and he is going to help me make it through no matter what, if I'll put him first. I remember working with a a couple when I was bishop, and they said, Bishop, you can look at our finances like there's no room for tithing. And they they showed me their bills, and they just listed it. And tithing was always the thing at the very bottom of their list. So it was under the line. I I don't have any more money, and so here's tithing. And I just gave them the simple suggestion, what if you put tithing to the very top of all of these things? And then see what falls below the line. And the things that, that fall below the lines were, were far less significant than having the Lord as your partner in your fi- financial plan of your life. Um, being able to access the temple. You know, so many great blessings came. And it was so cool to just watch when they just flipped that. They put tithing first. And, you know, yeah, there was some sacrifices they had to make. There was things that fell below the line, but they just started to receive blessings. And it got to the point where it was just like, how can you afford not to pay tithing when you understand that? But I was just thinking about the return missionary. As teenagers, maybe you didn't make a lot of money, so you weren't used to, you know, maybe the pattern of a lot of teenagers is let's pay at the end of the year at tithing settlement. We'll we'll pour our jar of money down and pay a little bit. And then on the mission— you didn't pay tithing for those two years or 18 months because you weren't earning any money. And so all of a sudden you come home and you believe in the principle of tithing, but maybe you don't have the habit or you haven't established the routine. And so understanding this principle, I think, is so critical. Well, and I think one day when the heavens are, are opened or the heavens are parted and we get to see all that God orchestrated because we paid our tithing, Cars that went a little longer, right? Uh, <laughs> dishwashers that lasted, you know, beyond what they should have. Uh, doors that were opened, opportunities that came into our lives because of it. I think we'll be in awe of what the Lord was able to do with 10% uh, of our faith, of our commitment to Him. And so I love that idea of if we'll place it first and then trust. Seek ye first the kingdom of God right? and all these things. All these things that you worry about will be added unto you. That was one of the Savior's primary teachings to his apostles, wasn't it? And then like Mother Smith, expect. Yeah, expect miracles. I mean, the Savior invites that. He says, prove me now herewith. I've I've never seen that in any other commandment. But with tithing, he says, prove me. I, I want to show you. I want to make it obvious and clear that I am pouring out. I'm involved in your life. And that's one simple way to do that. So put it first. Number one, first thing I do, I can see a young child eager to do that. When you're children and you have little bills, no mortgage, <laughs> right? You, they're just so eager. I, I remember our, our children giving them a dollar so they could pay tithing. Maybe do something on the house, I'll give you a dollar. And they didn't want to give 10%. They wanted to give all of it. No, no, you don't need to give all of it, right? Just You can just give a dime. But then the bills come. College tuition. I got to have a phone. Everyone has to have a phone now. We can't survive without a phone, right? It's just a necessity. I got to be able to get to college. All of a sudden, these bills come. And if I'm not careful, I. I and it's only going to get worse when you get married and you have mouths to feed, right? And so if you can establish the pattern of it's always first, it's not even my money. I give the Lord the, his money off the top. And no matter how bad it gets, that's not my money. It's, it's his money. You will be amazed at later on in life when it becomes even harder to pay tithing, um, how you'll just, you'll just, your faith will drive you and you'll have routines established that will help you. 
right? Agreed. Yeah. What about fast offerings and, and other offerings that, that we can pay in the church? What, what do you have to say about that, Mike? Anything, any advice regarding that? I, I, I think for me, and it's the, the thing I've shared with some of, you know, my kids and, and even some of my students, because sometimes the question comes up of, well, how much? And, and, and I, I think I have to admit that early in my life, I, I actually took the literal approach of trying to figure out <laughs> what was the value of these one to two meals that I was going to forego. And that was probably macaroni and cheese. Top ramen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was only a few dollars, right? It's because that's all I could afford. And, and, and yet, and it was that way. And it, for me, it was an important place to start. And I, and I think that it would be understood that the Lord appreciates all the offerings. What I have to give, he can magnify that in, in our lives and he can put it to great use. But I think that one of the things I've also determined to do is maybe worry a little bit less about, all right, how much does it need to be? How much should it be? How generous am I being versus just what, what looks right, what feels right? And as my, as my month or as my year changes and my circumstances are different, that, that offering may look different um, at this stage in my life um, where I'm at benefited to see an, an increase in salary from time to time. That's typically when I look to see if there might be a little bit more that might be given just as a way to show appreciation for the many good things in my life that I know have come from God and heaven. I think in all circumstances, we ought to allow ourselves to be stretched just a little, right? At least early on as a return missionary. Uh, you know, I've always seen tithing as uh, I love God more than money. And fast offerings is I love my neighbor more than my wants, right? I, I can stretch a little bit there. And so that's an intersection of the two great commandments, mm -hmm. these financial principles. That's awesome. Well, and I think this is another case where missionaries might not be used to paying fast offerings. That may be something before their mission that their parents did, you know, and so this is this is a great, great opportunity to establish that pattern for the rest of your life. Some might, some returning missionaries may be blessed to come home to a nice savings account. Maybe they had a, you know, they worked hard through those high school years and, and build up a, a reserve. And maybe even some parents have paid for their mission, right? Where some missionaries will pay for their mission. That that helped them maybe save some of the some of the funds from their youth. But regardless of the situation, Mike, what what would a return missionary want to keep in mind about building a, a reserve of? of beginning to have a bit of a savings account, if you will. Uh, and how, how might they go about that? So I, let's look at a scripture, if we can, from Doctrine and Covenants, section 48. I, I wonder if this comes across at times as a surprise for people to realize, whoa, the Savior said that. Um, so if we, if we look at section 48 um, of the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, verse number four, you know, the, the, the context is we've got saints coming into the Ohio area, anticipating a place for an inheritance, a place to begin a new life, to gather with other saints, and F Joseph realizing that there's not maybe the space, the room, the territory available that was anticipated, and that's for a variety of reasons that we'll reserve for a church history class. But in the middle of all that, Joseph does look to the Lord regarding what do we do? about this situation that's coming um, and we want to be able to help. And the Savior in section 48, verse 4 says, it must needs be that ye save all the money that ye can. Now, I'm going to put a period there. We'll go on in a moment. But just, I, I just, boy, what a one-liner. Um, the, the Savior has an interest in saving for the future, saving for a future event, saving for a future possibility. Um, saving against a rainy day. And that's what they're about to face in a manner of speaking as more people come to that Kirtland area. I just find it interesting that the Savior would actually use that kind of language and in our expression, save all you can. Um, now he goes on in that verse and says, and obtain all you can in righteousness that in time you may be enabled to purchase land for an inheritance, even the city. And he's now alluding to the places in Missouri that we'll see in church history next. But I just find it interesting that the Savior says, well, let's save up for things that we want to futuristically buy. Um, let's save up for things that may eventually turn into an inheritance for either ourselves or our future families. And even let's save up for um, 
things to prevent us from going through any additional financial hardship. And so to actually see the Savior lead with, let's save all that we can, I think is important to acknowledge that that's language that the Savior of the world uses for us as we begin to venture into the world of finance. Now, sometimes the questions that I'll get, sometimes from my own kids, sometimes from students is, I'm all on board with that, and I agree, and I know that I should, but sometimes the follow-up questions become, like, how much, um, and, and, and sometimes even how. And, and I think that the how much question is hard to answer because, again, the world we live in, there are so many opinions about how much. Um, but the church and its uh, self-reliance courses um, suggest that, well, at least enough to kind of get by with a month, that's called an emergency fund, if you will, a reserve, that eventually will over time grow to be multiple months. I think if I'm refreshed off my mission to say saving multiple months worth of expenses, that's a number that's really hard to gauge. So I just think that at the beginning, saving anything is a good way to start. And, and at least trying to save up a certain amount, uh, whether it's a goal, and you hesitate to want to throw out numbers. The church doesn't tend to do so, but you know, other, other financial minds out there will throw out numbers like 500, 1,000, 2,000. I think that what I take from that is set a goal of amount you don't have and see if over time you can get there first. And that'd be the one piece that I would say um, to that. But, but usually in my classes, we start talking about, but how do I find this place for savings in what might be some meager income? or at least an income that's barely enough to get by. And in the Church's Self-Reliance program, there's a fascinating um, a, a comment about the common approach to money versus what the Church will teach as the common sense approach. And this is going to kind of echo back to what Sean said earlier about where, where do I, where's the line where tithing sits on my priorities. Um, and the common approach is going to typically be we'll receive money, then we'll pay for our current needs and wants. And then usually in third and fourth place somewhere is going to be whatever's left, I'll pay my tithing and hopefully it's enough. And then if I have anything left at that point, well, then I win. I've got something to put aside for savings. And, and I'll admit that biographically, autobiographically speaking, that's kind of how I think I'd manage my finances fresh off a mission for sure. Um, I might have only put the tithing piece first, but then it went to my needs. And if I had anything left, then, wow, I was able to save something, and I'm so proud of myself for doing so. And you know what? If you can do that, that works. But the, the self-reliance approach I find to be brilliant, um, where the suggestion is we receive money, and then the first thing that we do with it is we'll pay the Lord first. There's our tithes and offerings. And then there's that concept of some people say pay yourself, um, but I'm going to put something aside of a certain amount that I feel I can consistently do. And I don't think one has to worry if it's a large number or a small number, but I'm going to put something aside. That way something did go into savings. And then at that point, then I'll pay for my, my needs and wants. And like you said earlier, Sean, I think that if we take that approach, we might be able to find that maybe there is something that I can put aside consistently and in the long run, what adjusts becomes my wants and my needs um, versus having my wants and needs sometimes suffocate what can go into a savings account. I was taught that principle when I was really young to pay 10% to the Lord and then pay 10% to myself. And I'm not recommending that that's the standard, but but to pay something to yourself, right? Right. And so I did that, and, and I built up a nice little savings. We're talking, I'm 12 years old here, and my siblings would come to me. They knew I had money, right? And they'd come to me and ask for money. So I would give them some money. I'd give them a loan. I didn't understand interest. I didn't know anything <laughs> about interest, so it was an interest-free loan. Had I known about interest, I could have been wheeling and dealing at 12, right? But, uh, but I, I think the principle I'm learning is if we'll set something aside, not something that, that Julie and I have carried on, right, to, to pay ourselves and set aside, uh, just like tithing, we never see it so that, so that we learn to live, you know, uh, with, with what we have and that. And, and really... Uh, as you were reading that scripture, I thought, you know, we, you really can have what you want in this life. If you want a, if you want a house, if you want to, you, you can really have it if you're one willing to put the Lord first 
Number two, if you're willing to save, if you're willing to work hard towards that. Uh, and over time, I, I think most of us in the world can really have what we want if we're willing to follow that, that, that practice, that principle. Feels like the Savior is suggesting that in section 48, isn't it? I need to make a confession. This, uh, this a story when I was a, a young married, I taught a lesson on um, the second coming and the signs of the times. And I just got all riled up inside. I'm like, oh, I came home to my wife. We have to be prepared with food storage and, and all of these things. You know, we're, we're really young and we're just meagerly getting by with our finances. And right when I was in the middle of this mood, the door knocks and I open the door and there is a door-to-door food storage salesman. And I mean, it just couldn't have been probably, I should say now, worse timing for me, but I was, I was high on the mood. And so he, he showed this food and all that it would do. And so I just looked to my wife and I'm like, well, kind of talked and we're like, I know we have this little windfall of money coming next month at this time. So let's just put this on credit and uh, we'll just buy it on credit and then we'll pay this off later. And so here I am uh, buying food storage to satisfy one gospel principle, but I'm doing it on credit. And before that money came, we had some things break down and I had to use that money to repair things. And I ended up carrying that food storage on credit and paying interest for it. So whatever it cost, I ended up paying way more for that because I, you know, I didn't have savings to draw upon. And I think maybe this can transition us into another principle, Mike, and that is that one of the downsides of not saving is when a car repair is needed or something else comes along, you have to turn to credit to do it, and then you're paying way more for that thing, and then you have credit working against you. Can can you maybe but speak time to out, that? Time out. Yeah. Time out. Okay. Right. You're going to mock that. me right now, We're Brian. Get to I know that, I'm embarrassed. Right. I've repented of it. To you, our listeners, okay? <laughs> Major announcement, do not go in debt to get food storage. <laughs> That's okay. right. Have we got that clear? Yes, do they, not go in debt that, to get food storage. That, absolutely. That was like a major <laughs> blunder, but, you know, the intentions were That's good, but the strategy was really, really bad. I so. love that, Sean. It was so relatable because that's what happens, yeah. right? There, there's the, the I know money's forthcoming, so I'll just kind of use another vehicle to get it in place, only to find out that the way I thought I'd be, be able to pay for it May or may not, and savings can't help with that. So sorry we digress there. But <laughs> well, I think I think I still have that food storage on my shelf thirty years later. So <laughs> I That's paid true. a pretty penny for it. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to us about debt and and you know how a lack of savings can lead to to debt and the use of credit cards in a negative way. What what can you teach our listeners yeah, about that? You know, and I think that's maybe the reason one of many reasons why prophets, apostles, and even the Savior recommends savings because, one, it can prevent the rainy days we talk about. They'll happen, and it may not prevent the rainy day, but it may prevent the temptation to borrow to be able to get ourselves through it. If I've saved it up, I'm able to go ahead and meet that rainy day expense. And then I work on putting the money back in so that I have it ready for the next event. That's how it's been for my wife and me, I think, that we, we sometimes wish we could just kind of have that savings remain and remain untouched. But, if, but then we have something come along that I need to use it for. And the benefit and blessing is I avoid the, the, the concept of debt. And, you know, the, the biggest worry about, about debt usually becomes it's the, it's the bondage to the interest it's the ongoing payments that now I've kind of borrowed future money that I haven't earned yet, and I've already committed it toward toward something that I borrowed for now. And um, one of the one of my f- favorite conference talks um, that I listened to shortly after returning from a mission was by Elton Perry um, in the October 1995 conference, and he just said it's easy to allow consumer debt to get out of hand if you do not have the discipline to use to control the use of credit cards, it is better not to have them. And I like the how he puts a caveat there that there's a condition on it's my self-control with that with that tool. But then he says, a well-managed family does not pay interest, it earns it. The definition I received from a wise boss at one time in my early business career was, and if you, I can still hear Elder Perry's kind of gravelly voice as he accentuates this, 
Them's that understands interest receives it. Them's that don't pays it. And I've, I've just never forgotten that concept. And I've, I've been on both sides of interest. I still am on both sides of interest. But when there is a financial reserve, I can certainly avoid heading down the path of debt. I want to follow that up, though, very quickly, though, to, with a, a statement from President Benson, because I don't want to be misunderstood that the, we no return missionaries should have to face any kind of debt. We'd prefer that that would be the case. Um, but but there are occasions where that may be something that is a reality. And so President Benson's observation is, I do not mean to say that all debt is bad. Of course not. Reasonable debt for education is an element of growth. So we're hearing that there may be a time and a place where there may be things that cost far more than I can afford, but that is a type of debt that can also become a form of an investment. There's a, there's, there's a significance to that commitment Greatly there. Increase your earning power in the future. Indeed, yeah. So that education is a very worthy right. reason to go into debt if you need to. Yeah. He adds sound mortgage credit is a real help to a family. Um, and again, especially in this world, I, I don't know how very many are able to purchase a first home without some element of borrowing in place. Now, maybe some will, but, but I, I appreciate the fact that we do have prophets and apostles highlight that we want to avoid debt at all costs. We certainly want to be able to save enough to pay out for what we want, but there may be some situations where debt would be something that's not necessarily bad in and of itself. Um, and if it's reasonable and we've given a lot of thought and prayer to it, that we shouldn't feel ashamed about that. And then there's the extra component too, as we talk about credit that, at least in the world we live in, that how I manage those debts and my repayment of debts um, creates a credit profile that can show a trustworthiness um, in the eyes of the world that I live in. And there's ever an occasion where I might need to borrow again for something that would be considered reasonable. Yeah, like the American dream is is home ownership, right? Yeah. And in order to do that, you have to have credit. It's the rare person that could ever, obviously, unless you have like generational wealth from your family, you're you're going to have to to get credit. And so you need to establish that credit early. And to do that, you, you need a lot of discipline, don't you? Yeah. So it's not saying having a credit card is bad, actually, if you have discipline, right? If you don't have discipline, it can get you into a lot of trouble, but that's just like any tool. That's like your cell phone. A cell phone with discipline is a, is a mighty tool. Without discipline, it can destroy your life. And I think credit card is, is the same way. Like it, it can help you establish credit or, or a small loan that's reasonable that, that you can afford the payment, you know, it fits within your, your bills. That will establish credit. So the day that you want to, to purchase a home, you'll be able to, to be able to have that or, or even have a better interest rate to be able to do yeah. it, right? So in a practical sense, what I taught my kids and talk about in some of our classes is if you're going to go into that world of a credit card, Maybe one way to do it the way you've suggested, Sean, is what if I just use a credit card the way I would have used my debit card, where that debit card is directly attached to my checking account. When there are no more funds, it'll begin to act like that MSF card from the mission. There's no the thing there left. And so if I'd use my debt credit card because I know there are funds like a debit card, and then maybe not even wait for the monthly statement, but immediately just online bill pay right then. I've used a credit card like a debit card, but in the process, I've created a new credit score that can increase over time to help me borrow in the future. You have 30 days, right, before interest starts accruing. And so if you're, if you're disciplined to get ahead of that, you're good. Yeah. So, Mike, you've highlighted that missionaries have an MSF card or, or missionaries get a monthly stipend. Um, and, and, you know, one of the beauties of a mission is it, it does invite missionaries, the Lord's inviting missionaries to learn how to create a budget and to, to live by that budget. They're, they're given just depending on where they're at in the world, according to, to the location and the cost of living in the world, they're given a certain amount of money. Um, and now missionaries have to understand that they'll pay about $400 a month and, 
And it probably costs a lot more to have them there, right? In Southern California, it would cost <laughs> us to have deal. about $2,000 <laughs> to have a missionary there. But but they were given, you know, a hundred and something dollars that they could learn to use for for food and their, their personal needs. Um, and in the case where you didn't have too much parent involvement or, or really generous members, right, they would have to learn how to budget that money. Uh, now, some don't learn those principles. What, what could you teach our return missionary that you've learned simply about creating and maintaining a good, healthy budget? Well, and starting with that MSF card, I think that's important because as you, as you highlight two times a month, there's a certain, there's a set amount of money that a missionary knows is coming. And one would think that a good way to go if I'm on the mission is I'm going to take that first half of the month amount of money and hopefully divide it by the first two weeks. And that will help me have a sense for this is what's available for this week if I want to have that same amount available for the week to come. Now, but some return missionaries will come home and what they're going to receive by way of their hourly jobs, if they don't always work 20 hours, then the paycheck could be different one time of the month than what it is the other time of the month. And so hopefully there's some reflection on how did I navigate that MSF card um, to get myself through um, each buying period, which I think, again, it turns into what did I learn about budgeting or did I learn anything at all? Um, because those are some of the realities of it. So when we talk about budgeting, I, I think that budgeting is one of those places where if I want to make sure that there's money going into savings, I need to kind of write that down. Um, that, that if I, I need to have a good idea about what am I paying for, I would think in some of our audience's experience is going to be likely rent. Um, maybe all the utilities are covered in that, and that would be a benefit, but that would hope that might be a set number. Um, if I have transportation costs, that may fluctuate if I have a vehicle or if I use public transportation. So I just kind of have to be honest with myself about what does it take for me to live in my world now um, and put that next to how much am I bringing home um, with the job that I have. And I think that kind of personal conversation and reflection is the beginning of the creation of a budget. Um, I don't know how to do a budget without writing it all out, putting it all out in front of myself or look at somebody else to say, what are my expenses? What's my income? And do they equate? Do I, and do I have a surplus? And, and to me, the, I, I, the Savior teaches in, in, in an interesting way, the concept of budgeting. Um, can we go to a, a, an obscure Old Testament book, Haggai? I mean, it's not one that we often read. Uh, seems like the go-to go-to book. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and without uh, come follow me, I'm not quite sure how many even go here anyway. But uh, w when you get to that book of Haggai, I mean, this is that story of Israel's come back home to a destroyed, ruined city um, after days of exile and bondage um, to the Babylonians and. Um, there's this time that they're going to rebuild the walls, they're going to rebuild the city, and Haggai is going to be, we're going to rebuild the temple. And that's what's really going on here. We, we might be just kind of taking a few phrases a little bit out of the way Haggai intends, but to kind of highlight, though, what feels very much like inspired advice about why budgeting. Um, so in Haggai chapter 1, um, beginning in verse 6, now, Haggai's message is going to be consider how you're using your money and if some of it might not be used to help us rebuild this temple. But what if we look at this passage a little bit differently when the Savior says in verse 5, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. Ye eat but have not enough. Ye drink but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Ooh, <laughs> and and, and you, you can see where Haggai is perhaps going with that in terms of putting money to its better use compared to what they may be doing with it. But but I just look at that, that, that image of this money in a bag with holes. And I just think about if I were to receive my, my income tomorrow and it were to be placed into a bag and it was filled with that many coins and I'm going to take that bag home, I would be crushed and devastated if by the time I get home, I recognize the bag is lighter and some, there's some of the coins I knew were there aren't there anymore. 
my question would be, where did they go? What happened to them? And, and I feel like when, when the Savior says, maybe consider our ways, maybe a budget is a way for us to consider our ways. And, and to maybe make sure that our income hasn't gone into a bag with holes, wondering where did it end up, that maybe budgeting can give me a place to proactively decide, this is how much is going to come to me. Here are the things I need to use it for. So all of that's decided. And then at that point, I've, my money has not gone into a bag with holes. It's gone into a place that I wanted it to go toward. You've accounted for it. Yeah. I, I so often am just like, oh, where is all our money going, you know? And if you don't take time to really track that, you could find, wow, we are wasting a lot of money in this certain area. I think you get to a point where you're like, wow, we are not making enough money. At the end of every month, we're, we're either going into the hole or we're finding ourselves in trouble. And I think we have, if I hear you right, Mike, we have two choices at that point. We either need to spend less or we need to earn more. If, if you're not content with being in this tight place, you begin to ask yourself the question, so how can I earn more so that I can have more space, more money to budget with? Right. Like, I don't have enough money to eat the way I want to eat, or I don't have enough money to dress the way I want to dress or drive the car I want to drive. Okay. Well, the answer to that is not debt, right? The answer to that is, okay, well, how can I earn more money or spend less on things that I don't care about? And if it seems so so simple to say that, but it's either spend less and, or earn more. I got to go out and get another job or I got to get a better education so I can qualify to earn more money so that I can have the lifestyle I want. But just just cheating the system and, and paying debts only going to hurt you later. My, my father-in-law had a quote on his fridge that I just used to always love, and it's, the greatest tragedy in life is when we give up what we want most for what we want now. I want this thing now, so I'm going to give up my future financial security, the ability to, to buy that home or whatever it is that I want most in life because I'm not willing to budget and control my debt now, right? Yeah. As I think about our missionaries that we got to work with and watching them and observing them, uh, our missionaries had cars. I think yours at a high, you know, most of most our of missionaries did, were yeah. in cars. And uh, th- these were brand new cars right <laughs> off the lot. We would hand an 18-year-old young man. Toy- a, brand you new know, Toyota Tacoma. <laughs> I remember that. And it had less than 10 miles, <laughs> yeah. right? And you'd go, oh, what are we doing here? Um, and when that car, the church would turn these cars over at about 30000 or 35000 because warranties were going to not be there anymore. And, and these cars would become maybe a little costly. Um, and so our missionaries would, would when their car started reaching about 30,000, they started referring to it as an old car, you know, <laughs> oh, we're driving this old, you know, Chevy Malibu. And I thought, when on earth in my life have I ever even bought a car that didn't have at least 30,000 miles on it? You know, their, their old car was our new car. And uh, in, in addition to that, missionaries, because the members are so generous, families are so generous, they, they don't really often have to learn to, with, to live within that budget, so they eat out a lot. If I were just to speak directly to our return missionary coming home, maybe there were some bad habits developed, I'd be wary of two things, eating out a lot. It's just so costly, and it just it, it's a bag without holes. Now, now food brings so much enjoyment, right? And so we, we want to plan, and we want to be able to do that and enjoy that. And, and so it's not never. And number two is be, be wary of new cars, right? <laughs> a new car. <laughs> Depreciate the minute you drive them off the lot, right? <laughs> and for a return missionary, the new car, unless mom and dad are really helping out here, is probably going to have over 35,000 miles on it, right? <laughs> yeah, my father-in-law said if a— if a young person in their 20s buys a brand new truck, he's either rich or he never will be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and of course, we don't want to, everyone has different circumstances, yeah. but, but we understand the principle here that, you know, we, we buy what we can afford. And if, if we want something more than we can afford, we have to increase our earning potential. Right? So one of the things that my son said that, that uh, it was helpful for his current circumstance was something that we did right after he got off his mission and it was sitting down and just writing out a budget 
And it was very, very simple. Um, his hourly income wasn't very large, but he was allowed to work 20 hours a week, and it seemed pretty set that he'd be able to do that consistently. Um, so we took that number and multiplied that amount that he would bring in times two, but had to factor in taxes. So once, once we started to realize what his actual take-home would be, we just kind of sat down and just decided, okay, the first check of the month, this amount is tithing and offerings. Um, and he realized very quickly that the amount of rent that he'd have to pay was not going to be covered by what was left in that first check. And so you know, we just visited and his determination was, well, I'll have half of that rent that would be forthcoming, but I'll put that in, in aside. And then when the next check comes, I'll have the other half of rent ready so he can pay it. So what he did was he was able to kind of see, based upon ties and offerings, my rent, um, some money for gas, maybe a little bit of fun money, because I think budgets also give license to spend. That's what I think is mostly for. He would then see how he had to adjust uh, his other choices of entertainment and standard living. And all I can say is, you know, watching what he's done from that habit, um, we're just so proud of him as he's gone on and graduated and full-time career and and um, recently purchased a first home. I mean, it, it can happen um, if there was a willingness to establish that discipline to look at my money and where it's going to go. Mike, what's what strikes me about our conversation today is that you haven't shared anything earth-shattering or some new financial trick or some get-rich-quick idea. You know, you've, you've just taught us the key foundational financial principles that if followed will make all the difference. And someone might say, hey, give me something more. I know all those things. I think there's such a difference between knowing these principles and then actually following them. There's been times in my life when I haven't followed them and I've, I've paid the price for it. Um, so just in review, you've talked about paying the Lord first, tithes and offerings, right? Paying yourself through a savings account, living within your means, following a budget, learning to avoid debt, establishing credit, putting the Lord first, right? Um, I think those principles are, are amazing. And there's so much that a, a person could go and, and get books. If you want to learn more about each of these things or, or podcasts or, or all these different ways to do it, but... I think you've established today some of the, the real principles that are, are foundational in the scriptures and in the teachings of, of our prophets. Is there anything you'd like to say by way of conclusion, um, first of all, about anything with, with money, but then ultimately, Mike, we'd love to, as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to just hear your, your witness of the Savior as we conclude today. Thank you. Yeah, I've actually, the irony is I've spent a lot of money acquiring books and going to classes to try to figure out how to use money. And that's, it's kind of an interesting confession to make. Um, but I think that what I found at the end of the day is where we started, that, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, um, they, they teach through repetition things that work and are calculated to bring about our stability, um, our happiness, and even the the pure definition of of prosperity, um, I I really believe that when the Savior says in Isaiah forty eight that the Lord will teach you to profit, I know there's a lot of ways we can pick that word apart, but I I believe that one of those ways certainly can be in my finances, but it can be in all aspects of my life. Um, I I just I, I rejoice. Um, that, that we have a savior of the world who knows what it's like to live in the world and can acknowledge, will acknowledge the requirements, including money, that cause us to exist in the world. And yet uh, through love and wisdom and inspiration um, teaches us how to be wise stewards of, of financial resources so we can have feelings of peace and security in our hearts. I, I, I know that he lives and I know that he cares about the financial side of my life and our lives. And I glory in the fact that I'm given an opportunity that even in my finances, I can show that I put him first in my life too. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Preach My Gospel podcast. If you feel this podcast might be helpful to others, please invite them to join us for our next episode. 
Don't forget to subscribe using the link found in the episode notes to submit questions and offer suggestions. For more information about Institute and other offerings from the Utah Valley Institute of Religion, please visit utahvalleyinstitute.com. You may also find us on Instagram at Preach My Gospel Podcast. The Preach My Gospel Podcast is produced with permission from the Utah Valley Institute of Religion. The hosts are expressing their personal views based on their experiences, applying the principles of Preach My Gospel, and accept full responsibility for the content in these episodes.